me. Good morning, you guys. Welcome. We're really glad that you're here this morning. Hey, if you are watching online and you are live streamed this morning, we want to let you know if you couldn't tell by the stage this morning that we are doing communion in our closing worship um, portion. And so if you want to go and grab those elements um, that you might have at home, crackers, juice, whatever, um, please do that now and then come back and join us for that. Um, announcements that I have for us in the room, as well as those of you that are watching online, are a couple of things. First of all, last weekend, um, Trevor and Rebecca took a group of six middle school students to a retreat in the Olympia area, and um, it was so cool to just sit and listen to Trevor rave about their time together and the movement of God among them and the connection that happened. Um, but I think that, that one of the coolest things for me, well, there were a lot of really cool things, but one, Rebecca led in worship while she was there, and that's just really cool for her to share her gift and her love of music beyond this little space here. And so she's not here in this moment, but Rebecca, thank you. I see you in the lobby. Yep. Thank you. We love you, and we're just so proud of you. Um, the other thing was just Trevor was beaming about how proud he was of our church. We were combined together with five other churches to put on um, the retreat. And just the, the way that the kids loved, the way that the leaders poured themselves out was just a beautiful, beautiful thing. So we are so grateful to be a part of a family of churches where we can come together. Because a middle school retreat would have been cool with the six of them and two leaders. But how much cooler is it with a room full of kids and the synergy that goes there? Um, so really cool. There it is. Um, we also have an overnighter for high school students coming up this coming Friday night. And if you, yeah, mm -hmm. Jaden, are you so excited? Uh -huh. He's pumped. <laughs> One time I asked Jaden when he was a little boy, because, you know, he just doesn't get super excited about things. It's just not his, you know, vibe in life. And so I was like, Jaden, you know, do you ever get excited about things? And uh, he's like, yeah. I'm like, like, what if I told you today we're going to hop in the car and go to Disneyland? What would you do? And he says, I would scream. <laughs> so, hey, there you go. I didn't do the full thing. We can talk about that later. Um, okay. High school retreat. If you are not getting information about that, it means that you are not on our email or text or we have both ways that we reach out to students but also to parents. And so if you'd like some information about that, will you fill out your online Connect card or see Trevor today at the end of church? And we would love to get you all the information that you need. We will not have high school group tomorrow night because... Happy Halloween, everybody. Um, and I hope that you enjoy just whatever you're going to do tomorrow night. And I hope that it has some element of um, welcoming people, being hospitable to people, whether they're in your home or showing up at your front door, trick-or-treating, whatever it might be. We just pray that, that God is with you as you um, go about your hangouts tomorrow night. I know that I'm looking forward to being together with my family and seeing all the cute little adorbs come into the door. Um, that's all that I have. Um, well, I lied. 
I lied. Those papers on your chair. Um, we are going to do something with those next week. If you were here last Sunday and you filled one of these out, homework's done. You can set aside the index card. You don't need it. You can doodle on it if you want. You could take notes on the message, whatever you want. That can be your piece of paper. Um, but for those of you that didn't, we would just love to celebrate the work that we do, the way that we move the, the world forward. We've talked about our work being that thing that we can partner with God to do paid or unpaid. And so would you just write down on those what you do to partner with God to move the world forward in some way? What do you do to move the world forward? List those out. At the end of church today, we're going to have a basket in the back, and you'll just drop those and your pen inside of that. The other piece of paper we're going to get to later, so don't worry about it. Put that one aside. And um, that's all that I have. Let me just pray really quick. God, we invite you into this space. We're grateful for you. We're grateful for the opportunity to gather together. And I pray that your spirit would move in a powerful way as we begin to explore and to dream about new, different, and more, um, I don't know, tightened, connected ways to partner with you in how we love well. In your name I pray. Amen. Jaden, it's good to see you. <laughs> I feel like if your mom raises your hand in church and then Jen calls you out, I better just call you out too because nothing makes a middle school boy more comfortable than, oh yes. I'm going to repent. Oh my gosh. I knew that, but I, uh, it's hard for me. You guys are growing up. All right, moving on. You guys, we're, we're in this series called Garden City, and we're thinking about what it is, what, what it is to be human. Um, and the foundation for our understanding comes straight out of Genesis. So we've been looking at this passage week after week. Here we go. Then God said, Genesis chapter 1, starting with verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that we may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Do you guys know that there's now more than 7 billion people on planet Earth? According to worldometers.info, <laughs> at 6 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time this morning, there were exactly 7 billion 
983,580,247 people on planet Earth. You guys, that site's amazing. Have you, have you ever visited there? Like, you, you can literally watch people being born every second. Like, not biologically. Like, <laughs> in a creepy, you know, childbirth video kind of way. You can watch them being born, like, numerically. So we are up to almost 8 billion people. You guys, that's a lot of people. We've done, a, we've done pretty well with the whole be fruitful and increase in number thing. Um, but one of the striking things about humanity, to me, is how no two of us are the same. Like, even with 8 billion of us, none of us are the same. And this has profound implications for how each of us bears the image of God. Because we are called to, to rule, to subdue, to take care of the earth, but we each do this in a unique way. Several years ago, I, I heard something that, that helped me see, it just kind of drove home for me how amazing this actually is. Um, Jen and I were getting ready to start Brookview. This was back in 2001. And uh, we had to complete this very extensive process first. It had several layers to make sure that we were qualified. So there were very long, detailed forms to fill out. There were tons of meetings, tons of interviews. I had to do a three-hour panel interview where I was grilled by three different pastors on the Bible, and I was asked to explain all kinds of different uh, Christian theology and, and then show where those, all of those ideas come from in the Bible in multiple places. Uh, but the most rigorous part of the whole process was something called a church planter's assessment. So it was this week-long assessment process where we went to this retreat center and we were grouped together with, I think it was about eight other couples that all, all of us were being assessed. And what they made us do is work on all these projects together. And so they put us through a, a week of various exercises and then what would happen is these evaluators would just sort of sit on the outskirts like we were in a fishbowl watching and evaluating all of us. Making sure that, that we could work well with people. That... We could work well together as a couple. I mean, I remember there was one guy that was just super degrading to his wife. Like, we're five minutes into this thing, and he's super degrading to his wife. And I'm like, dude, you're going to fail. And they did. Uh, additionally, each couple met with a psychologist. We have, like, had to get in a in a, alone in a room with a psychologist for about two hours. And that psychologist asked us all kinds of very personal stuff. Childhood trauma, anger issues, insecurity, the health of our marriage how often we have sex and how satisfying it is. True story. It was a comprehensive assessment. But really, it was done for the protection of the couple as much as it was being done for the protection of the sending agency. They, they wanted to be confident that you were qualified and, and that you wouldn't be crushed by this thing, that you didn't have hidden psych issues or a marriage that was right on the brink. And so at the very end of it, at the end of the whole week, and I don't know why I'm throwing this in there, but that particular week was the week of 9-11. So that happened while we were up at this retreat center, which just made everything emotionally, like, really intense. Um, so, like, two days after that, we, we went ahead and finished the assessment process, stayed up there, and, and so right before they, they gathered all of us into a little room, uh, and before giving us each of uh, the assessment, like before calling us out one by one to say, okay, here's, here's how it turned out. Um, we're all in this little room. And you can imagine, can you imagine the angst level in there for all these people who are 
have, have given some of them years of their lives to the idea of planting a church. So right before they call us into our own room and give each couple sort of their assessment, the leader of the team that was doing the assessment made a very important point. He said, look, church planting isn't for everybody. Not, not everyone is, is wired for it or prepared for it, and that's okay. So whoever you are, whatever your strengths and experiences, whatever it is you bring to the world, it still matters very much. So if church planting isn't for you, then go find what is. The kingdom needs you. The world needs you. So if this doesn't turn out how you wanted, God still has beautiful things for you to do in this world. And then he read something that was deeply striking to me. Um, It was written by a woman named Dorothy Williams. And it was so meaningful to me in that moment that I have actually shared it at church several times. Um, In fact, if you've been around Brookview for a while, you have heard me read this, some of you more than once, some of you more than twice. Um, But I think that this is is so true and so profound. And so let let me read this. This is Dorothy Williams, and she writes this. Just think about yourself. Think about what a remarkable, unduplicated, miraculous thing it is to be you. Of all the people who have come and gone on the earth, Eve, Moses, Cleopatra, Socrates, Joan of Arc, Richard III, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Madonna, George Clooney, not one of them is like you. No one who ever lived, not one who is to come, has had your combination of abilities, talents, appearance, friends, acquaintances, burdens, sorrow, or opportunities. No one's hair grows exactly the way yours does. No one's fingerprints are like yours. No one has the same combination of secret inside jokes or family expressions that you know. The people that laugh at all the same things you do don't sneeze the way you do. No one prays about exactly the same concerns that you do. No one is loved by the same combination of people who love you. No one. No one before, no one to come. You are absolutely unique. Enjoy that uniqueness. You don't have to pretend in order to seem more like someone else. You weren't made to be like someone else. You don't have to lie to conceal the parts of you that are not like what you see in anyone else. You were meant to be different. Nowhere ever in all of history will the same things be going on in anyone's mind, soul, and spirit as are going on in yours now. If you did not exist, there would be a hole in creation, a gap in history, something missing from God's plan for humankind. Treasure your uniqueness. It is a gift of God given only to you. Enjoy it. But share that uniqueness. No one can reach out to others in the same way that you can. No one can speak your words. No one can convey your meanings. No one can comfort with your kind of comfort. No one can bring your kind of understanding to another person. No one can be cheerful and lighthearted and joyous in your way. No one can smile your smile. No one else can bring the whole unique impact of you to another human being. Share your uniqueness. Let it be free to flow out among your family and your friends and to people you meet in the rush and clutter of living wherever you are. The gift of yourself was given you to enjoy, but not to hoard. Give yourself away. See the uniqueness around you in each person you meet. See it. Receive it. Let it inform you or nudge you or inspire you or comfort you. The collection of unique 
irreplaceable beings around you now has never been available before and will not be in quite the same way again. And so, dear, special, irreplaceable person, receive the gift of yourself and others. Notice the gift, enjoy it, celebrate it, and be very, very thankful. And all of this, all of this leads to the idea of something that we call calling. And what we've seen over the past few weeks is that we are called to make disciples and to make culture. But the way that any one of us goes about those things will be so unique. Uh, so how in the world do you figure out what makes the most sense for you? How do you take all that God has given you, like your gifts and your passions and your personality and experiences and abilities, and, and translate that into something tangible, something real that actually blesses people? Now that can be sharing Jesus with the, those that don't know him, right? It can be helping those that do know him to grow and mature. And this is the stuff of making disciples, right? But as we've seen, the other part of our calling is to make culture. In other words, anything you do to move the world forward for the flourishing of people. And you guys do this, you guys do all kinds of things. You do all kinds of things that God cares deeply about. I was talking this morning to somebody who teaches fifth grade. Just an is that not an extraordinary thing to be a teacher of, of fifth grade? Yes. In fact, I won't name who it is because we've already called out Jaden, but I just, can we give a round of applause to people that teach kids? I mean, my gosh. You guys do all kinds of things that God cares deeply about. Um, John Mark Comer says it this way. He says, I believe that God calls pastors and missionaries, and I very much believe that God calls bankers and bakers and artists and accountants and stay-at-home moms and teachers and baristas and maybe even used car salesmen. <laughs> but I'm not sure. I am sure about baristas, though. Amen. Amen. So, so calling, when we think of calling, it isn't limited to what most folks consider spiritual-type jobs. It's just not. It is as wide as humanity itself. Along the way, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, along the way in the Middle Ages, the church decided that it would teach that the only people that were called were priests and pastors and monks and so forth. It's just ridiculous. We, we often think of, a, of receiving a calling as, as, as like this mysterious event. Like there are a lot of people sort of waiting around planet Earth for a calling from God and they're hoping, what they're envisioning is that they will get some sort of a dream or a, or a vision or they will have a crazy encounter with a stranger who says, you know, go become a, a hot yoga instructor. <laughs> By the way, for those of you who don't know, hot yoga is a thing. That was not saying that the yoga instructor is... <laughs> So, and so the, the, the crazy thing, right, is, is, is sometimes, sometimes that kind of stuff does happen, right? I mean, I think of Moses in the burning bush, right? I think of Paul on the road to Damascus. But if you think about it, what if those stories are in the Bible? What if somebody thought that they were worthwhile to write down because they were unusual? I mean, I, I think the best way to think of calling is simply what God made you to do. It's, it's how you are hardwired by God. It's figuring out who you are and what you alone can contribute to the world. And in our culture, the world likes to tell us, you know what, you can do anything that you put your mind to. I, I won't say anything about millennials here. 
you can do anything that you put your mind to. If you work hard enough and you believe in yourself, and if you're patient, you can do anything. There's a spiritual word for that. It's called baloney. You guys, this is such a this is such a middle class and above American way to think. I mean, people in the in the developing world, they don't think like that, and they certainly don't talk like that. Because it's actually ridiculous. I cannot be anything that I want. For instance, I will never be an NFL quarterback or an NBA point guard. And some of you are like, well, that's true because you're too old now. And if you think my age is the only thing limiting me, God bless you. I knew I liked you. I, I can't be anything I want. I just can't. Like, all I can be is me. All I can be is who my creator made me to be. And so if I fight who I am, it only hurts me over time. And so here's what I mean. Like if, if you're an introvert, if you're an introvert and you decide, you know what, I'm going into sales. And so that means that you have to be with people. You have to be on and you have to be with people all day, every day. Here's the thing. Even if somehow you manage that and you like make sales and you're successful, you will constantly come home with your tank on E. If, if you're a thinker with just this insatiable appetite for learning and you go into manual labor, it's going to drive you insane. If you're a natural leader and, and you love moving people toward a goal together, but you end up doing accounting all day, it, you're going to go nuts. Now, I, I realize at some point, we just need to be thankful that we have a job. Like, I get that. And it's also true that Jesus is with us no matter what we do, that our experience with what Jesus called life to the full does not depend on us landing like the perfect job. But as much as possible, what we do should grow out of who we are. And there's a lot of talk like these days about burnout. Like as a society, right? We are overworked, we're tired, we're stressed out, we're frazzled. But burnout isn't always a result of giving too much energy. Sometimes it's the result of giving the wrong kind of energy. So we need to learn to embrace our potential and our limitations, right? Not every good thing is the right thing for you. And one of the striking things to me about Jesus is all the good stuff that came along for him that he said no to. And Jesus seemed to understand what he was called to and what he wasn't called to. Um, one of the first stories about Jesus in the Gospels is his baptism. Heaven opens and the voice of God says, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You are my son. Now, son of God wasn't just a way of saying that Jesus had a special relationship with the Father, although there's no doubt that that's true. But in the Old Testament, Son of God was actually a, a specific designation that was used interchangeably for this person that would be the Messiah, this king-like figure that would bring justice and usher in into earth the kingdom of God. So Jesus' baptism is this, this turning point in his life where he gets clarity about who he is and what he's called to do. Now, no doubt he had an idea about this for many years prior to this, but, it, but this is like the moment inaugurating his unique role on earth. 
And Jesus wastes no time getting started on it. He goes out soon after. This is Mark 1, with verse 14. It says, he goes out soon after proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And so within days, word gets out that there is a new rabbi on the scene named Jesus who is preaching radical, dangerous, exciting new things as well as healing the sick and casting out demons and standing up to religious corruption. And there's, there are rumors that he's even raising the dead. In fact, some see, people suspect that he's more than a rabbi, maybe a prophet or even more, the Messiah. And some people think that he could be even more than that. So one morning before sunrise, Jesus goes out to pray, which he did often. And his disciples can't find him anywhere, which happened often. And so a few hours later, they find him. And this is uh, verse 37. It says, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Right? They're like, what are you doing? They're like, People Magazine and, and Vanity Fair want to do an interview. Right? <laughs> Oprah is trying to book you, Jesus. You know, the, Jesus, this, this stuff could launch you in a huge way. And they're expecting Jesus to go, you're right. That's awesome. Let's do it. Instead, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Okay, so that's Jesus for no. <laughs> and everyone's really confused. Why, why would Jesus turn down such, such an incredible opportunity? And this happens again and again. The disciples expect Jesus to do one thing, to go one direction, and instead he turns and goes the opposite direction. And the ultimate example is Jesus saying yes to death. Like three years into his, his work, we're told this in Luke 9. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So he is dead set on going to Jerusalem to be crucified. And when the moment comes, on the night that he is to be arrested, he prays this amazing prayer. It takes up a couple chapters in the Bible. It's beautiful. But in it, he says this to the Father. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. He's saying, I'm almost done with the work that you have for me, Father. And then in John, his final words for, from the cross are, it is what? It's finished. Have you ever wondered, like, how could Jesus say that? How could Jesus say that? Because the world is still a black hole of need, right? His disciples were in hiding. Corrupt religious leaders still ruled. Poverty, slavery, hate, anger, brokenness were rampant. In his moment of death, the world was a broken mess. And yet from the cross, Jesus says, that's a wrap. You guys, I think we can learn a lot from Jesus, um, obviously, but the first thing we, we, we can learn from him here is Jesus was not afraid to say no. Like, if we're going to lean in and do what God is calling us to do, we also need to know what we are not called to do. We need to know who we are and who we aren't. I, I love a story in John's gospel where John the baptizer, who also lived deeply into his calling, was fielding questions from religious leaders in Jerusalem. Like, clearly, God's hand was on this young prophet, but nobody can figure out what category to put him in. Like, who are you? Are you Elijah? I am not, he says. Are you the prophet, meaning the Messiah? No. 
Finally, they quit making guesses and just demand, who are you? Give us an answer. And so he quoted the ancient prophet Isaiah, and he said, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. But notice, he starts by saying what he's not. Like, to live into your calling, you have to say yes to that call, but you will need to then say no to everything that isn't your call. So often, our, our calling gets hijacked by stuff. It gets hijacked by fear or insecurity or it gets beat to a pulp by our upbringing or maybe a a negative or even abusive parent or it gets beat out of us or just worked out of us by really mean kids in middle school. Or it gets pushed to the side because we decide we want to be like someone else. We, We want our life to look like their life. We stop trying to be ourselves and we start trying to be them. I mean, many of us, we spend years trying to be someone we're, we're not. Trying to be our, our mentor or our hero or some ideal that we aspire to or the person our parents wanted us to be or our generation wants us to be or the person that, that our friends think is cool. There was a, a legendary ancient rabbi named Zuza who wisely said, in the coming world, they will not ask me, why were you not more like Moses? They will ask me, why were you not more like Zuza? Who has God made you to be? Now for me, I'm, I'm called, I really believe I'm called to lead this church. I'm called to teach, I'm called to counsel, I'm called to invite people into roles that fit their callings, to find ways to engage the broader community. And for me, that has at times looked a whole lot like coaching a youth sport. And I'm called to love and to serve my wife and my kids. And these are things that I will continually say yes to, which means, though, that I have to say no to a lot of other things all the time. Like as a pastor, people can have all kinds of ideas for me about what I should be doing. Thank you, guys. (laughs) Uh, People want me to lead the church. They want me to give vision. We need more vision. Give us vision. They, they want me to have a TED Talk quality message every Sunday. They want me to meet with brand new people for coffee. They want me to chase down those that haven't been around for a while. They want me to pray for the lost, pray for the people in the church, pray for our nation, pray for missionaries around the world, mentor people. Read all the hottest new books on ministry and Christian thinking. Be up to date on all the cultural changes that are happening in the world around us. Become a presence on social media. You know I've embraced that one. Write a blog. Turn some of these sermon series into books. Dude, you should write, you just take each sermon and put it, make it a chapter and find a publisher and get these things published. You should be a volunteer chaplain for the fire department or the police department. You should speak at men's retreats for other churches. You should be involved in various justice issues. Have a very connected and healthy marriage. Be a world-class dad. Oh yeah, and make sure you stay emotionally healthy. Because that's all really good, like worthwhile stuff. And you know what? Super pastor would slay all of that. (laughs) But I'm not super pastor. I'm Jason. And so I must do what I'm called to do. Here's what, if you say yes to everything, in a sense, you're saying, you're saying yes to nothing. The, the, the real work the Father has for you gets sidelined and it gets buried at the bottom of a to-do pile and the world never actually gets your best contribution. 
So for some of you, can, can, I just, can I just give you permission to say no? Like, do I have that authority? I don't. I don't have that authority. But I'm going to give you permission anyway. And this will mean that you need to say no to some really good things. It will mean that you need to say no to some good people with good intentions. That you will need to figure out what's, what's actually best and then be ruthless. So to follow Jesus means we know who we are and we know who we're not. Jesus was not afraid to say no. But here's another key observation. Jesus was not afraid to say yes. As much as he said no to stuff, he said yes to all kinds of other stuff. Like some of you, some of you really, you need to learn to say no, but there are others of you. Can I just say, you need to learn to say yes. I mean, God may be attempting to break through, like to turn you in a new direction, and he may be laying out for you a beautiful opportunity, but your default is just like, if it seems hard, then I, you know, I'm not sure. Or if you would have to sacrifice something for it, it's just no, 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 no. You have no problem saying no. So if all you hear me say today is, uh, you know, Jesus, Jesus said no, so you're like, oh, Jason, that's awesome, perfect, thanks. I must be super Christ-like because I say no to everything. <laughs> but, but in reality, you're not saying no to that stuff because you're on mission, living your, the, like you're calling to its fullest. You say no because you don't want to be stretched, because you don't want to be uncomfortable, because you don't want to have to sacrifice something. So out of like almost addiction to self-preservation, you continuously and needlessly say no to things that are absolutely your calling. That, I just want to say that's actually not Christ-like at all. It's, I mean, it can be selfish, could be lazy, could be cowardly. Because when you think about it, Jesus said yes to some crazy stuff. He said yes to having 12 young men, maybe teenagers, live with him. Everywhere he went, there were those 12 boys. Can you imagine? And, and they were immature. And they were annoying most of the time. And they frustrated him. And yet he loved them. Jesus said yes to confronting the most powerful men of his generation. They didn't like it, and they started plotting to kill him. He battled injustice and oppressive systems and people while simultaneously teaching people to love their enemies, even those that oppress them. This is a difficult tension, and many people on both sides of it hated him for it. Jesus said yes to a life of poverty as a traveling rabbi. He said yes to very meager resources with no place to sleep some nights. He said yes to cold and hunger and thirst and modest clothes. Jesus said yes to walking into Jerusalem knowing it would lead to his death. He said yes to being arrested and flogged and mocked. And he said yes to being hung on a cross with nails, spikes actually, pounded into his hands and his feet. So this message would go very badly if all some of you heard was, you need to say no more. To live our calling, we can't be afraid to say no, but understand it's also going to mean we have to say yes to some stuff. So you have to discern what is the right yes for you. In fact, your life is pretty much shaped by what you say yes to and what you say no to. So it turns out that yes and no are very, very powerful words. 
So if you are considering something, and this is the million dollar question, if you're how do you know? How do you know what to say yes to? How do you know what to say no to? How can you discern God's calling for you? Well, in what's left of this message, I just want to give you some key questions to ask. Like if you're wrestling with what to do and what not to do, the, the thing is you got to ask really good questions. And so here, here are some. First, what do you love? Like, what are you passionate about? Another way to ask this is, what would you do with your life if you didn't need any money? Some of you might be thinking, that's easy. I would sit by the pool. <laughs> Can I just say no? Uh, like, after you did that for a year and were bored to tears, what would you do? Uh, for me, here's what I discovered many years ago. The thing I most wanted to do was talk to people about God. Non-believers, believers, talk to people about real life and talk to them about God. This is what I loved. This is what I loved way before I ever got paid to do it. And maybe you're thinking about getting a new job or switching careers, or maybe you're thinking about what to do in, in some of your non-paid time. Start here. What do you gravitate toward when you don't get paid for it? And, and I just want to say, some people are, are like really hesitant to go all in with Jesus. And there's, the reason is because there's this underlying fear, and I used to feel this way. There's this underlying fear. If I were to go all in with Jesus, he would send me to be like a missionary in the Amazon and, 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 or do something really extreme for my entire life, and I would hate it. I, I just want to say, what if, what if following Jesus looks a lot like doing what you love and letting Jesus use it to impact people even more? What if giving yourself unreservedly to Jesus wouldn't wreck your life at all? What if it would unleash in you passions even more fully? Okay, so, so start here. What do you love? But you can't just ask that question, okay? There's several more. Next, this is an important one. What are you good at and bad at? Um, hopefully the answer to this one aligns with the last one. It doesn't always. But how many of us know somebody who really wants to do something? I mean, they really want to do it. Like, they give their life, you know, give their resources and time and all that, and, and, and you know, to singing or playing music or football or counseling, and, but it, they're just not good at it. I mean, our, our passions and our loves are a sign pointing us in a direction, but our gifting is also a sign. So what are you, what are you naturally good at? I'm going to let you in on a secret. You're not good at everything. So what are you good at? You guys, I would love to be, this is real, I would love to be a surfer. <laughs> right? I love the ocean. I love the waves. I, 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 I love the workout of swimming. I love what it does to the core, right? I'm spending all day in the ocean and the salt water to the skin, right? In reality, you guys, you know what I would love? I would, lo I would, really, I would love to be a competitive surfer. And then in my retirement years, I would love to teach surfing. Here's the problem. I have terrible balance. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's shocking how bad it is. Uh, now, I'm sure that I could, if I worked hard enough, learn to surf eventually, but I would never be good at it, not really. 
My body just isn't designed that way. I have small feet, skinny legs, broad shoulders, and I tip over like a top. <laughs> I'm also seriously terrible with art. I mean, no, you guys are like, well, it can't be that bad. No, it's like disability level. It's like, if you play Pictionary and you're on my team and I'm drawing, you're screwed. You have no chance. Just like, what is that? I don't know. I'm supposed to draw this thing and I don't even have a picture in my mind of what I'm supposed to be drawing. It's just terrible. Okay, but, it, but here's the thing. If you play word games with me, like catchphrase and that kind of thing, Turns out I'm really good at getting people to guess stuff if I'm able to use words. Some of you, some of you are extraordinary, like with art. Some of you are so artistic, it blows me away. Some of you are great with kids. Some of you are great with animals. Some of you are great with music or numbers or spreadsheets or technology. Some of you are great with elderly people. What are you good at and bad at? Like, let that guide you. And then tie that together with what you love. Third, what does your world need? I mean, when you look at the world, where do you tend to think, somebody needs to fix that, right? Somebody needs to do something about it. I just want to say, maybe that somebody is you. When you, when you look around at, at the world, what, like, what's missing? Because it is magical when you find what you love and what you're good at, and it coincides with a legit need in the world around you. Next, if you're considering pursuing something more fully, ask this, does it make the world a more garden-like place? Does it contribute to human flourishing? Is it good for the earth? Is it good for you? Is it good for other people? Does it, does it take the raw materials of earth, metal or wood or, or wind or words or ideas or technologies and rearrange them into something that, that enables people to thrive? Fifth, what are the open doors in your life? Like if you're a, if you're a follower of Jesus, Here's the thing, you are never alone in your calling. This thing does not rest entirely on your shoulders. Jesus insisted that God is with you, that he is involved. So what is it that's in front of you? What door is opening? What's happening? What's not happening? Now, I will say, you have to be really close with open and closed door thinking because sometimes people will resist their calling because there are parts of it that are hard. Or, time, or maybe the timing is off and we have to be patient, but it... It's always good to look and ask, what, what is God laying out before me? Because sometimes, you guys, a calling is staring us in the face. We just need to be willing to make eye contact. Okay, sixth, it's always good to look around and ask, well, what is God blessing? This is kind of the natural follow-up to the last question. Is, is there an area of your life that God just keeps blessing? Like, you're good at it, and you just keep getting better at it, and opportunities keep coming your way, and it's obvious that it's doing a lot of good. There are people in this room and around the world that are just, like, brilliant, and they're gifted, and they're good at all kinds of things, and I, I wish I was one of those people. And if you are one of those people, what happens is just about everything you do is successful to a degree. And so if that's you, you go, well, how do, I, how do I actually pick a direction? Well, you combine this question with all of the others. Is God, is God blessing something that you're doing right now? And you love it, and you're good at it, and the world needs it, and it leads to human flourishing, and there are open doors. Because if you got all of that going on, it's like, it's like God's way of, of screaming to you, hot, hotter, 
on fire. Like, this, this, is, this is what I have for you. Okay, sixth. What is the Spirit stirring in your heart? And don't confuse this with the question, what do you love? Because here's what I've noticed, and this is kind of annoying. The Spirit sometimes calls us into stuff we don't want to do. I mean, sometimes it feels more like, ah, I have to do this. I have to do this. There, there are all kinds of things, you guys, to me that sound fun, and I could probably make a living doing them. Here's what I'll tell you. Being a pastor is something I feel like I have to do. When I was uh, considering changing directions to, to become a pastor, there were three main things that gave me pause. First, I hated speaking in front of people. It terrified me. In fact, I hated being in front of people at all and like having them look at me. As a freshman in high school, I won like an athletic award and I had to, I had to walk up in a school assembly in front of the whole school to get the award. You guys, I just about peed my pants. And then I just about fainted. My legs were shaky and then I was like, oh, I'm, now I'm walking weird, which made me walk even weirder. It's horrible. That was horrible. Okay, so, so that was an issue. Second, I hated reading out loud in front of people. I don't know if this happened to any of you. I was in elementary school and we'd have to read aloud and it was traumatizing for me because I was horrible at it. I, I just always struggled. I fumbled, stumbled. And so that was, the, I hated that. Third, as a new Christian, you know, at the time that I was making this decision, I hated praying out loud in front of people. Like, I loved being in small groups and talking about God, but when it came time to pray together, I was just like, okay, I got to go to the bathroom. See ya. <laughs> I mean, it just, that's a lot of bathroom stuff. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> like, you got an issue. I might. Um, when it came time to pray together, I was just like, oh my gosh, get me out of here. It just felt so unnatural to me, and it felt like this personal thing that I shouldn't have to do in front of other people. Here's the thing about being a pastor. It turns out that you kind of have to do all three of those things a lot. <laughs> and I knew that. Like, that was not like, oh, I became a pastor. I'm like, shoot, I didn't realize. No, like, I knew. And so this whole thing felt very intimidating. And yet I just felt like I have to do this. And so I don't know how, but God is going to help me through this. I have to do this. I have this sense stirring in me. And God, I, you, I, I think this is from you. I have to do this. So sometimes the Spirit directs us to things we don't want to do. Okay, and then finally, one more. And you guys, this is absolutely critical. Seventh question to ask is, what are the people who know and love you saying? Sometimes people who love us, they see things in us that we don't. They see who we really are. They see stuff that we're blind to. And if you have people like that, you need to lean into them. You need to listen to them. Ask them. Here's something I'm considering. What do you think of this for me? What parts of this align with who I am and what parts of it don't? Um, Jen and I have some people in our family that we love dearly and they, they love Jesus. And they have gone on several different ministry adventures. And for the most part, those adventures have gone horribly for them. But those of us that knew them foresaw all of it. And we suspected that those things would go badly. And had they asked us, we would have told them that. But they would just kind of go and pray in solitude and then get a feeling and then go. And they wouldn't talk with those that know and love them and have some wisdom. And let me add a little, another little caveat to, to this. 
How you ask people matters. Like the way you ask, the way you frame it. Like if you ask people once you have already decided you're going to go do this thing, uh, they will often be polite. Because if you say, hey, I'm going to go do this thing, isn't it awesome? Don't you think this is a great thing for me? Most people, even if they're like, no, (laughs) they will say, yeah, boy, sounds great, cool, good for you. But if you were to come to those very same people and frame it a whole different way, and you said, hey, I'm, I'm weighing out several options, and I am truly open. Here's what I'm thinking, but I, I want honest input from you because I respect you. I haven't made any decision on this yet, and I am, I'm wide open to whatever, so what do, you, what do you really think of this? Those same people that just said, yeah, sounds great. If you leave it wide open, they are much more likely to say, actually, I have some concerns with what you're saying. There are aspects of this that I don't think are a good fit for you at all. Right? The way you frame the conversation matters. You can always find people to affirm what you've already decided to do. Most people are exceedingly polite in the world these days. And if it goes badly for you, they're like, huh, sucks. It's not on them. So if you want real feedback, you have to frame the question well, and then you need to like really, really listen. Now, what I will say is any of these questions asked all by themselves, like if that's the only question you're asking, it can lead to all kinds of danger. The the real power is running your yes and no through a combo of these. Okay, what do you love? What are you good at and bad at? What what does the world need? What what like does it make the world a more garden-like place? What doors are open for you right now? What is God blessing? What is the Spirit stirring in you? And what what do people who know and love you say about it? If you ask those kinds of questions in concert, you are very likely to get a ton of clarity. And before I close, I just want to acknowledge um, something. So Jen mentioned on your seats this morning, there's a flyer of ministry opportunities. These are just ministries we have at the church. And we had a long debate in staff meeting about whether we should put these on the chairs for you. Like, we went back and forth on it. Um, There were several reasons why we thought, you know, let's not do that. The the first one is, this message is all about your calling, which is way bigger, way bigger than serve at church. Okay? Also, many of you are already serving in several different ministries. So the last thing you'd need to do is add something more to your plate. Okay? So if that's you, set it aside, scribble on it. Uh, when the music starts and no one can hear you, rip it up, throw it in your pocket. <laughs> but for others of you, maybe you've kind of been around the church for a while and, and you're actually at a place where you, you want to get more involved then look through that and see if there's something that would be a a good fit for how you're wired. And if that's you, then there's the the list of stuff there. You can fill that out, tear it off, and drop it in the the same um, container that all of the here's what we do for work is going. Um, So in closing, why is it important to unearth and live into your calling? Why is it really critical that you say yes and no to the right stuff? Well, for one thing, the world needs you. Like, we we need you. We need you to be the best version of you. Everybody wins when you do what God made you to do. 
But there's another reason that I think this should be a top priority for all of us. And it's that when you unearth and live into what God made you to do, there is a kind of joy you find there that you cannot find anywhere else. I mean, for me, despite all of the fear, I, I said yes to the calling of being a pastor. And you guys, God has given me some extraordinary experiences over the years. I mean, just, I, I think of standing before 800 shocked and confused people at a memorial service for a 15-year-old boy who shot himself in the head. Good friend of my daughter, Kate. And, and I remember doing his memorial service at Rose Hill Community Center in Muckleteo. There were high school kids everywhere. There were parents of high school kids. There were teachers and a whole bunch of other people. And most of the people in the room were not followers of Jesus. And here I was, the only person that that family knew that could possibly lead them through this. And so I stood up there and God gave me words. And you, you could feel the spirit in the room, moving among those that knew Jesus and even stirring in those that did not. And it was like, wow, God, how did I end up standing up here? It's crazy. I remember teaching self-defense to deaf Haitian women living in a deaf camp where they were at risk every single night. Women that needed to band together and to put their foot down and say, we're not tolerating this anymore. We're going to stand with each other. And I remember beautiful ways that our team that went down there to do this just loved those women. And I remember at the end, I, I, I had an opportunity to, to stand and share, talk to them about Jesus. And I remember the way that because we had loved them and, and really invested in them and listened to them, they were bought in and they were, they were, they were leaning forward with tears in their eyes, many of them. It was... It, I think about a few couples who's along the way here whose marriages were in the grave. But they decided to give it one last try and they sat down, Jen and I. And it wasn't anything we did, but somehow in the midst of all that, God began to resurrect their love for each other. And some of them have become our best friends in the world and they have beautiful kids. And they are doing amazing ministry together. You guys, the joy in that stuff is unreal. And had I ignored where God was leading me, I would have missed it. Now, I hesitate to even give you those examples because my job is, is as being a pastor. But God calls all of us, he calls all of us to make disciples in our own unique way. But here's the thing. He calls all of us also to make culture right? To make the world better. And some of you do that as teachers, and some of you do that as police officers, and some of you do it as firefighters, and some of you do it as nurses and pharmacists and stay-at-home parents, and some of you do it as, as grandma, and some of you do it as grandpa, and some of you do it as, as great-grandma, and some of you do it by making amazing technologies or doing accounting or just helping a system that's going to, to run more smoothly. Whatever it is that God is calling you to do, you want to live into it fully because you will find joy there that you cannot find anywhere else. And, and when I think of like the most joyful person to ever live, who do you think I think of? SpongeBob. <laughs> Come on, give me the Sunday school answer. Jesus. 
Patrick. <laughs> Who is the most joyful person to ever live? Hands down, it was Jesus. I mean, and, and, and you think about, well, why is that? Well, I think a big part of it is he lived fully into his calling like no other person ever. He was doing what he was made to do, and he knew it. I, I think of the line in Hebrews 12 where, where it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Doesn't that feel like an oxymoron of a statement? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Parts of your calling will be really, really hard, but there is a joy that you can find when you are doing what you were made to do that you will never get anywhere else. I mean, why would you want to go unreservedly where Jesus is leading you? Because he has demonstrated the immensity of his love for you. His sacrifice shows you how much he loves you, and it means that you can trust him. It means that, that letting him continually unearth your calling and then, and then trusting him enough to lean in, into it all the way is the way to joy. It is the way to joy. So I want to just invite the worship team to come back up. And this morning, um, we're just going to think about Jesus together, his love for us and what he might be calling us into. Um, and the reality that he laid down everything for us. So we're going to take communion together. Um, and the way we can, there's bread and there's juice on both ends here as well as in the back. There's also a gluten-free option in the back if you need that. Um, and you can take it standing. You can take it back to your seat. Or I would encourage you to maybe kneel and just spend some time in worship and prayer. Uh, we're going to do, I think, four-ish songs together. And whenever it makes sense for you to come and take communion, do it. Um, but what an amazing thing we get to do together.